Hi, I'm Katie. And I'm Dr. Cubitt. We're going beyond the barn. Come join us on this journey as we bust equine and livestock nutrition myths and interview some of the most intriguing experts in the country. We'll go behind the scenes of how premium Western quality forage is grown and brought to your favorite farm and ranch retail store. We're so glad you're here. Welcome back to another episode of Beyond the Barn, and I am happy to have Dr. Cubitt back in the studio with us today. Hi, Katie. I'm excited to be back. Today, we get to talk about general feeding myths that we hear in the horse industry, and I think this is going to be a really helpful episode for us to kind of clear up some things that horse owners have heard, whether, you know, talking with their friends that ride horses or in their, you know, on social media or things like that. So I'm hoping this conversation will help clear some of those myths up today. Yeah, we'll try. And there are always myths in everything we do in life. And sometimes there's an element of truth that might have started it. But I think if we understand potentially how the myth evolved And that makes it a little easier to understand, oh, well, you know, that's why somebody came up with that. But no, that's not quite true. That will help us to unravel some of these myths. But as always, before we get started, I I just want to say to all of our listeners that when we're talking about any of our topics, we're pretty general. We're not specifically talking about individual horses. So just make sure that you're always working with your veterinarian or your nutritionist before you make any drastic changes with your horse. Or feel free to contact us if you have specifics that you'd like to know. Excellent. That's always something good for us to keep in mind. So let's just get right into this, Dr. Cubit. The first myth that I want to talk about today Horses need to be fed at the same time every day. You know, this is a really interesting one. I've actually been reading a lot about this recently. There were some surveys, some research done looking at stress on horses if you change feeding time. And we all know that stress is negative to horses and can cause all kinds of damage, physical damage to the horse. But if you think about horses in the wild, never really had a feeding time. They would continually graze throughout the day. And then we come into the picture and based on our work schedules, we have created meal times. That in itself is foreign, but they are very much routine animals. And we've all been to the barn where the horses are all pouring. They're showing kind of nervous behavior. Maybe they're banging on something in the stall. There's a lot of energy being let out. And the research actually showed that if you're an hour late, say you you always feed your horses at six o'clock in the morning and then one day you overslept and you came out at seven, that the physical markers of stress, and we measure cortisol in horses as a a hormone related to stress, actually really do increase if you come out too late. So yes, the answer to that question is horses do need to be fed at the same time every day. Otherwise, you will definitely increase their stress levels, which is not a great thing. Right. And Especially when we're talking about horses that kind of tend to get more overly stressed than others, that would be very significantly negatively impact their stress levels for sure. So the next one, horses will seek out the nutrients that they are deficient in. 
you know, this is one I get often and we love our horses and we think that they are the smartest creatures on earth. And in many ways they are very smart, but I will tell you that they will not, they are not able to self-regulate or seek out the nutrients that they need. So if you put little tubs on the wall in the horse's stall that have copper and zinc and selenium and all the different nutrients that they need and assume that they're going to lick the ones that they need, then you're wrong. They won't be able to do that. The only nutrient that horses will be able to self-regulate, it's actually two, sodium and chloride, which makes salt. And they can only do that if they're not exercising. So if you have a plain white salt block available or loose salt and the horse is at maintenance and it's not excessively hot and they're not exercising, then they will consume enough salt to replace what they have lost in sweat. If they're exercising heavily, you need to add salt to their diet, either in the form of an electrolyte or plain white salt. And you should always be feeding an additional vitamin and mineral, either in a balancer, in a vitamin and mineral supplement, in your concentrate feed, because horses will not self-regulate the other nutrients they need. And if they're if your horse is eating dirt, this is this is kind of a sideline that goes along with this. Some people will say, My horse is eating dirt, he's missing something in his diet. Oftentimes it's boredom craving fiber or they've got gut pain and they're trying to chew on something to produce saliva to mitigate that pain. But the research shows that horses eating dirt has nothing to do with nutritional requirements. I'm glad you mentioned that because I think that's something that people might assume might be that they are missing something from their diet or like if they're chewing on like wood or cribbing or something like that, people might assume that that's also the case, but is not right. Yeah, if they're chewing on wood, I would lean more towards maybe they're craving fiber. But oftentimes, they're actually just trying to chew on something to produce saliva to buffer that stomach acid. Right. So they know the horses, though, obviously know that they need fiber in their diet. I mean, that's the whole purpose. That's how their digestive system works. So well, it's kind of like us, you know, you if you go to Thanksgiving and Christmas and you eat a lot of heavy, dense food that maybe you're not used to eating right. and you get through that and you're just like, I just need a salad. <laughs> I need some greens. Right? Dr. Cuba, have you ever been out on the road? I know like when, when we travel yes. and we're always eating fast food and you get home yes. and you're just done mm-hmm. with it. Like I just want to, I just want some simple plain food. Yes, absolutely. So, okay. Interesting. So next myth, let's talk about hot horses shouldn't drink cold water. I would say, you know, if you get really, really hot and then you guzzle down a bunch of ice cold water, you might feel a little sick, but I would say that you never, ever, ever want to withhold water from your horse. So if the only thing that is available for a hot horse is cold water, let them drink it. Because withholding water is for a horse that is hot and potentially dehydrated is absolutely the worst thing to do. Now, they're not going to get, some people think it's a myth that they would get founder from drinking cold water. That's not true at all. They won't get laminitis or founder. So hot horses should be cooled off. They should be hosed and they should be allowed to drink water. Okay, perfect. And this is, we've talked about this a handful of times, but we have some ones coming in about alfalfa. So alfalfa is for cows, not horses. Well, you know, alfalfa can be really ideal for certain horses. Alfalfa is not for all horses, Let's say we have a laminitic fat pony. 
then alfalfa would not be ideal for that horse because it's got a lot of calories in it. And so it would make that pony fatter. It's actually very low in sugars and starches. So it's great for horses that have metabolic issues as long as they're not fat. It is very high in good quality protein, which is not detrimental to horses. They can excrete that, but protein is an expensive nutrient just to be excreting. So the very, very rich, high calorie, very high protein hay, very digestible types of alfalfa that are specifically grown for dairy cows so that they will produce a lot of milk. Potentially that is not ideal for horses because it's just, it is too rich. Uh, They don't need it and they're just excreting those nutrients. It's not going to hurt them, but they're just excreting and wasting your money. Not all alfalfa is that nutrient dense. And alfalfa is ideal for racehorses. It's ideal for growing horses. It's ideal for horses that need to gain weight. So it just depends on the horse. Right. And I'm glad you touched on a couple of little things. One thing that I've seen quite often, and I'm, I'm surprised how often I do see it, is people thinking that alfalfa is high in sugar. Yeah, it's not. And you mentioned that it, that is not so much the case, especially when you're comparing it to other types of hay. And we've talked about this in, on some of our other podcasts about alfalfa. Alfalfa is a legume. Just like clover is a legume, soybeans, canola meal, these are all legumes. And legumes store their energy as primarily as starch, and they're what we call self-limiting. So they have a little area in the plant that stores that starch, and once it's full, then they can't store any more right, until it gets utilized for plant growth, and then they can start to, to store some more. Whereas your grasses, like uh, cool season grasses like Timothy and orchard grass, they're not self-limiting. They store their energy primarily as sugars. And as long as the sun is shining, they will store sugar in every different compartment in the plant. So grasses in general are much higher in those non-structural carbohydrates, which is a combination of those simple sugars and starches. So alfalfa being a legume is always lower in sugars and starches. It's those cool season grasses. Grasses like teff, which is a warm season grass, also store their energy primarily as starch. But again, not very much of it. And you talked about how horses are pretty good about, obviously, if they're getting too much protein in their diet, they'll just excrete it. But how about the extra protein in alfalfa makes my horse, quote unquote, hot? We hear that one a lot. And if it's physically hot, like increase their temperature, it can increase their temperature, trying to uh, turn that into energy or dissipate that, get rid of that excess protein, but it's got to be quite significant. But as far as making, changing their behavior to be quote unquote hot, hyper, unmanageable, that kind of thing. Any excess calories that are not either used for work or laid down to store later uh, may change your horse's behavior. So if you fed your horse alfalfa and he was unmanageable, he potentially didn't need those extra calories and you might look for a different source of hay for him. But it's not the protein. They're just looking for a way to burn that energy. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Excellent. So let's shift over to grains or concentrates are the most important part of a horse's diet. And and this is something that I get on and off. And I 
They're not. Number one, they are not the most important part of your horse's diet. Water and fiber are the most important part of your horse's diet. Water, number one, and fiber, number two. If you look at the horse's digestive system, 75% of the digestive capacity of the horse's gut is solely to break down fiber. Horses in the wild are continually grazing a variety of different fiber types. What we do know, though, is that our Hays and pastures are deficient in a lot of nutrients, selenium, copper, zinc, for example. So that's where the use of a concentrate that's going to really uh, complement what you're not getting out of the hay or pasture becomes important, but does not supersede or is not more important than the fiber. The fiber is the absolute most important when it comes to the actual food that they're putting in their mouth. Okay, good. And then horses who graze all day don't need much hay during the night because they sleep. If horses are grazing an abundant pasture during the day, I mean, they do sleep and they will graze primarily through the daylight hours. If I was going to lock my horse in a stall overnight, I would still provide them with something to munch on over those nighttime hours. Now, The horse that can graze all day will not be as hungry, so I don't need to put as much hay in his stall overnight. But a horse that is boxed all the time or gets very little turnout or goes into a turnout into more of a dry lot that doesn't have a lot of grass, then I would be providing them with more hay while they're in the box because they're they're going to need to continually be consuming more calories. So that one's not as cut and dried as some of the other ones. I think it depends on how you can word it sometimes too. And then just to add on to that, I know we've mentioned this briefly in some other episodes, but what would be the purpose for making sure that they do have some hay available to them overnight? What would be the reason why you would want to make sure that they had something to be eating? You know, horses are going to chew for about 17, 18 hours out of a 24-hour period. So, and you don't know when those times are going to be. So, I would make sure that I had something that if they chose to chew on it, they could. That's going to help produce saliva. It's going to buffer that stomach acid. We don't want horses to be without something to chew on for more than, say, four hours, a four-hour stretch, because we're going to increase the acidity of the stomach, which will then in turn lead to gastric ulcers. So. That would be my reason for supplying hay in a stall overnight. And then horses shouldn't be fed before exercising to avoid digestive upset. Yeah, they're not going to get digestive upset. I mean, you're not going to take a starving horse and feed it a gigantic meal and then, you know, do a bunch of exercise with it just like us. That's silly. But as far as withholding food before exercise... We're not going to feed racehorses grain like within an hour or two prior to exercise because that food that they eat is not going to be utilized during that short race anyway. They're going to tap into the stored energy in their tissues. But as far as like withholding hay, hay is a water holding reservoir and it's going to encourage your horse to drink water. So if you withhold hay thinking, oh, I don't want to weigh my horse down, you're also increasing his risk for becoming dehydrated and that's going to negatively affect you more than feeding a little bit of hay. So for the majority of our listeners, don't withhold hay, grain or water prior to exercise. There is a very small population of horses that do the 
highest level of exercise. And I don't mean level, I mean like intensity, racehorses, where we need to manage the timing of their feed more critically. But no, it doesn't hurt the majority of horses to be fed prior to exercise. And take that one just one step further with horses that might be prone to gastric ulcers. Horses that are prone to gastric ulcers 100% need to make sure that they've got fiber, especially prior to exercise, because when you exercise them on an empty stomach, that acid is going to splash around. It might splash up onto that non-protected section of the stomach. It's what we call the splash effect and damage that, that tissue and create gastric ulcers. So with a lot of racehorses, even when we're training them, we will actually, while tacking them up, feed them a couple of handfuls of alfalfa pellets or cubes or even long stem hay because it gives instantaneous buffering to that stomach acid. So, And another myth that I heard was grain will make a horse colic. You know, this is another one that's not black and white. There's a gray area. Yeah, grain can make a horse colic, but... I can die if I drink too much water too, but I will also die if I don't drink any water. So if you make a rapid feeding change, let's say your horse has been on a fiber-based diet and then all of a sudden you just introduce a lot of grain, and when I mean grain, I mean cereal grains, corn, oats, barley, to the diet and you don't let them adjust, that can definitely cause gas colic because those bacteria will get unbalanced, they will produce gas. If you're feeding too large a meals in a single time point. Let's say you've got a thousand pound horse and you're feeding him eight pounds of grain in a single meal. That could certainly cause colic because you're going to overflow the stomach and the small intestine. It's going to go to the hindgut and those bacteria are going to get overwhelmed with those sugars and starches and again, cause excess gas. So grain, if fed correctly, will not make your horse colic. Like anything, if you incorrectly feed it, yes, it's a possibility. Right. It's all really about management. Okay, another interesting one. Does feeding cracked corn help horses produce more heat in the colder months? This is a funny one and and definitely kind of, oh, my grandfather used to feed cracked corn to the horses in the wintertime and it would keep them warm. And if you think about the the bacteria that live in the hindgut, that's how we're creating this metabolic heat. And the more fiber they break down, the more heat they produce. So hays, fibers, beet pulp, those kind of things, they're going to create the most heat. Grains, if we think about grains, there's not a lot of fiber in grains, except oats have a high, they have the fibrous seed coat, so they would cause more fermentative heat. But oats and barley will actually not create much heat. And the thing that creates the least heat metabolically from uh, digestion is fats and oils. So no, if you want to keep your horse warm in the wintertime, feed him plenty of fiber. That'd be a better source for them. Okay. Another one about corn. Does hard corn help grind down horses' teeth so they don't have to be floated as often? You know, this is a crazy one and I have never heard this, but no, that that's not true at all. The horse will <laughs> right. not grind down. So I've got to collect my thoughts because this is a crazy one. There's so much things going on here. But what we know when we put the little bite meters, they're called bite meters, on the horse's halter, and it actually measures the jaw sweep of the horse's mouth. So we know that the top 
jaw stays in place. It's kind of the whole head. And then the bottom jaw works independently. There's hinges in the back of the horse's uh, jaw. And that bottom jaw goes around in a circular motion. And we know that when the horse eats hay or long stem fiber or grass, that jaw sweep is really wide. It's a big, wide circle. And they wear very evenly across all dental surfaces. So that's what the horse is supposed to eat. And in that wide circular motion, he grinds across all surfaces of his teeth and he evenly wears them. The shorter the fiber length, the quicker, the choppier that jaw sweep becomes because they don't want it to fall out of their mouth. So they'll actually tuck stuff up into their cheek and then they'll grind, grind, grind really quickly because they don't want it to fall out. And so knowing the kind of anatomy of how the teeth work and how the jaw grinds, then feeding corn absolutely would not help them grind down their teeth and it would encourage uneven dental wear because it's a very short length and they're going to use very quick jaw sweeps to try and crunch that. Certainly not going to break the teeth, but they're not going to grind it correctly. And then the other thing with corn is if we're feeding corn to horses, it absolutely has to be processed because the next part of the corn is the starch molecules. That's that's kind of the energy that we want the horse to be able to tap into. And that starch molecule in, in corn or barley is, is like a little crystal. It's so hard to break that we need to process it before the horse even gets it so that that starch molecule has a chance to be broken down in the small intestine and not go through to the hindgut. Right. So there's a couple of reasons then for not to feed hard corn necessarily in its form. Yep. And then getting into beet pulp, this one I know is probably going to be a little bit of a, a touchy question, but I really want people to kind of listen through the whole process of this. But feeding beet pulp unsoaked will cause a horse's stomach to quote unquote rupture or explode. Okay. So I'm going to first start and say, I always soak beet pulp, but not for the reasons that everybody might think. I always soak beet pulp because I want to get as much hydration into the horse as possible. I know that water is really critical. I know that at certain times of the year, the horse might back off on their water intake. And so when I soak beet pulp, and I'm typically adding it to the diet, maybe I'm adding it in the fall because I'm worried about impaction colic or I need to increase body weight. So I'm adding a little beet pulp. I'm going to soak it when I'm feeding it by itself, whether it's in shreds or pellets. I'm going to soak it so that I can get more hydration into the horse. If you have a horse that has a tendency to eat their food very quickly, and that's most horses that meal feed, then I'm going to wet it because it'll puff up a little bit. And again, it'll increase the kind of diameter. And so back to the jaw sweeps, it's going to take them a few more jaw sweeps to actually chew it down. And every jaw sweep, they're producing more saliva. But as far as the horse's stomach rupturing or exploding, that's just false. Now, this comes stems from the fact that we know that a cow they can regurgitate their food and they do. It's a natural process and then they will chew on it some more and then they'll swallow it and then they'll regurgitate it and they'll chew on it some more to keep breaking it down. The horse can't do that. If the stomach gets really, really full, there's little stretch receptors that are just going to push that food into the small intestine really quickly. So it's not going to rupture the stomach because it will engage those stretch receptors and push into the small intestine. 
where the whole unsoaked will cause it to happen is we all know if you put beet pulp in a bucket and you put it with water and when we're soaking beet pulp we usually say a two to one maybe three to one ratio of water to beet pulp it expands a lot the stomach doesn't have that much liquid in it to start with and even if it did all it's going to do is engage those stretch receptors and push that food into the small intestine. So it's not going to happen. It's never going to cause your horse's stomach to explode. You can feed it unsoaked, but I, I never like to do that because I'm just always trying to get more hydration into the horse's Right. And when you say that it can be unsoaked, I want to go into this a little bit more just so people understand the purpose for it and everything is people thinking about the whole choking aspect of it and everything as well. And... Yes, I mean, and I think when nutritionists or veterinarians say that you don't have to soak beet pulp, it should be followed with if there are a bunch of other, you know, everything's lined up. Okay, so the horse has good teeth, number one. He's got to have good teeth, so he's chewing correctly. The horse isn't hungry, which means he's not being meal fed. When you put food in front of him, he's not going to bolt it. He's not going to eat it quickly, which we're crossing out a lot of horses. So it ends up coming down. There are very few horses that kind of check all the boxes that when you're feeding beet pulp by itself, you don't need to soak it. And it's not because beet pulp will cause a horse to choke. It's all of these other criteria that when the horse eats anything dry, they're not chewing enough. They're not producing enough saliva. They're eating it too quickly. You know yourself, if you're really starving and you just guts into your food and you eat a whole lot, then, oh, I need a drink of water. I'm trying to swallow it. I'm trying to get stuck in my throat and I'm trying to swallow it down and it's taking a long time. And it wasn't the food's fault. It wasn't that you shouldn't eat bread because bread makes you choke. It was how you ate the bread. You were hungry and you ate too much. Now, I can tell you, slow down, Katie, don't eat your food too quickly, breathe, relax, but you can't tell your horse to do that. He's hungry and he's just going to eat it. So the caveat to that is there are a lot of commercial concentrates that have beet pulp in them, and we don't have to soak the, a lot of those because they've also got oils in them. Sometimes they've got molasses. The quantity of beet pulp in them is very small anyway, but if in doubt, go with your gut and soak it. You're not going to hurt anything by soaking it. You're not going to hurt anyone's feelings by soaking it. You don't need to have arguments on the internet as to whether you want to or don't want to soak beet pulp. If you would like to do it, go ahead and do it for whatever reason floats your boat. Right. And I think that's important for understanding kind of the scientific purpose behind what's happening there. There's just, there are some misconceptions as to why people feel like it needs to be soaked. And so I think, I think it's really good that you just explained it the way that you did. So another one, I've heard people say they won't feed beet pulp because it makes their horse hot. And this is in the sense of temperature wise, where they're kind of like in a humid environment, high temps. Is there any truth to that? Well, if you go back to the question about the corn, I said that feeding fiber will increase the metabolic heat created by those. It's more fermentative heat, right? These bacteria, when they're breaking down that fiber, a byproduct is that they will create heat. But on the flip side to that is the harder they have to work to break it down, the more heat they create. So it's absolutely accurate. The bacteria breaking down the fiber in beet pulp will create more heat in the body than a horse just consuming fat, oil, for example, 
Bee pulp is actually one of the more digestible fiber sources. We actually call it a super fiber. So when you rank fibers in their own category, your you go to straw, that's going to be the hardest to break down. So they'll create the most heat there. And then you look at kind of first cutting, stemmier grasses that are much higher in fiber content. They are going to be harder to break down. And we get all the way down to the other end of the spectrum, which is beet pulp. And it's very easy to break down. So it will create the least heat out of the fiber sources. So Horses, no matter whether you live in the middle of the desert, in a tropical rainforest, in Alaska, they still have a basic requirement for fiber. And beet pulp is not one that I would usually avoid because of fiber creating heat. If you live in a very hot, humid climate, then I'm actually going to utilize a lot of beet pulp to fulfill my fiber requirements. But if, let's say, you live in a really cold climate and it's in the middle of winter, I'm probably going to lean more towards my stemmier fiber sources to create more heat. So it just depends. Again, it depends on the environment and it depends on the horse. Beet pulp is also much higher calories than some of your other hays. That's a good way to think about that. And since you mentioned the straw part, how it's really hard to digest, is that why horses tend to, I guess, be more at risk for colicking if they consume straw? Yeah, so there's been a lot of research looking at straw. And number one, we know that with impaction colic, it's very non-digestible and it's very dry. So it can get stuck in the horse's gastrointestinal tract and cause impaction colic. But from there's been research looking at it from a standpoint of a source of fiber for horses with metabolic issues that were overweight and they need a really low sugar and starch diet. So grinding up the corn, the straw, pelleting it and utilizing it as a smaller, small portion of the horse's diet. There has been research looking at that. But in general, the general rule is, no, we don't want horses to eat straw because it can cause impaction colic. Okay, good. Is glucosamine bad for horses, particularly obese, laminitic, or Cushing's horses? And this is an interesting one, and it's one of those, oh, what what is the element of, of truth that might have created this myth? And we know that with horses that are obese, laminitic, or Cushing's, that we want to decrease the sugars and starches, i.e. the glucose in the diet. The amount of glucosamine, which is a glycoaminoglycan, and it's uh, utilized in the joint, and the horse makes their own glucosamine, the amount of glucose is minimal and does not affect your horse. So it's absolutely fine to feed to your horses. And that's something where often is that's found in like a supplement? Yes, it's a supplement in a joint supplement, yeah. After colic surgery, a horse will always be more prone to colic. Uh, It depends on the colic, really. I would say that when a horse has gone through any surgery on the intestinal tract, no matter how great your veterinarian is, there's always going to be a tiny amount of scarring. And that area of the gut may just be a little less robust than it was before. So... I don't think that it is a bad idea to, in the back of your mind, manage that horse like he has a higher risk of doing it again. doesn't mean that he does necessarily statistically have a higher risk, but he's colicked once, so whatever caused him to colic, you might try to avoid those in the future. Right, and with it at least getting to a point so bad that they have to have surgery for it too. Yeah. 
And that just might mean, you know, it, it could be that two horses had impaction colic and one horse, uh, it was picked up in time for the vert be able to employ some manual techniques and dislodge that. Another horse, it wasn't picked up. It was much later on that they noticed it and it's caused dying, twisting, gas buildup, and kind of you've got the worst case scenario. So sometimes it's more, it's not necessarily the colic that the horse started with. It was more when did the owners or the carers for that horse notice and then try and bring in professionals to fix it. And the last myth that I want to talk about today bran mash is good for horses. I uh, usually don't feed bran mash at all to horses. When most people talk about bran mash, they're talking about wheat bran, which has little of no or no nutritional value to a horse. It's pretty high in non-digestible fiber. So the old timers used to say, oh, I'm feeding a bran mash to my horse once a week and it's going to stop him getting colic because it clears him out. And maybe they notice more manure in the stall the next day. And that was really just the bran mash you fed them because it's not digestible. We know that we go back to the very beginning when we were talking about horses being routine animals and needing to be fed at the same time every day. We know that horses are routine animals and their microbiome, the bugs that live in their gut, also need to be fed the same things every day. So if you do any kind of change, mash, whether it be bee pulp or feeding carrots or whatever, and you just do it one day a week, that's a rapid feeding change and we shouldn't do that at all. Whatever you're going to do, you need to do it every day. I lean more towards a beet pulp mash because I know I'm getting super fibers that are going to feed those bacteria. I can still put the water in there and make it warm and make myself feel better about it. But I'm also going to do it every day. And maybe I only do it every day during the transition from fall to winter or summer to fall when I know that they're not consuming as much water and they're at risk of impaction colic. But but for a few months, I do it every day. Uh or I might go with rice bran if I want the horse to have a little bit more fat. But um, again, I'm going to do it every day. But as far as bran mashes once a week being good for horses because it's going to avoid them getting colic or things like that, that's that's a complete myth and that's just wrong. Yeah, consistency right there is pretty key. I think on it hits on a few of those really when we talk about colic situations or or with this last question. And so... Just remembering that aspect of it when you're feeding your horse is just how important it is to make sure that you're offering a certain type of feed fiber consistently. Well, I think we touched on a lot of great myths today, and I'm, I hope that we helped some of our listeners understand some of these a little bit better. Of course, if there are more follow-up questions that come from this, you know, we invite you to reach out to us and email us at podcast at stanleyforage.com and let us know how we can better serve you in, in these questions. Dr. Cubit, if you could just leave our listeners today with one or two main points, what do you think would be the best thing to tell them? I think the main points are to always be curious and investigate. If you hear a myth and don't always take it at face value and do some investigating, talk to your veterinarian, talk to your nutritionist, contact us. We can, we can help you out because I know you can get really overwhelmed with everybody's opinion. But ultimately, I always say when in doubt, always go back to what is the horse designed to do? He really is designed to stand out in a field and graze 24-7 and really not do much else. We 
put him in stalls and we meal feed him and we expect him to live a lot longer and, and do a lot more. So we have to feed a lot more concentrated nutritional sources. But when in doubt, the horse needs a lot of fiber and he needs to be supplied that fiber continually throughout the day. He also needs clean, fresh water. But apart from that, again, just be critical of, of everything that you see and read on the internet. Right. And I think that's why it's so important to make sure that you have that relationship with your veterinarian and a nutritionist just to be able to make sure that you're working with a strong team. Yes. And, you know, even myself, like I have a PhD in equine nutrition. I work with some of the best horses in the world. And I still will second guess myself sometimes when somebody will contact me and tell me the most outrageous thing that they read on the internet or heard. And I'm like, I have never heard that. I can't even imagine how someone would make that up. But now you've got me questioning myself. And so I have my own sources that I contact to to bounce ideas off. So there's a lot of crazy stuff out there. I mean, and that's how all of the scientific research is done anyway, right? When uh, research is done, it's submitted and it has to be approved by peer reviewed yes, and, yeah. and everything, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think it's a, I think that's a nice way to, to just keep, keep yourself kind of in the game and strong and, and knowing what you're doing. So, well, thanks again, Dr. Cubit. Appreciate the conversation today and we will catch you next time. Until next time. Thanks for listening to the Beyond the Barn podcast by Stanley Forage. We'd love for you to share our podcast with your favorite people and subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or your favorite listening platform. Until next time, keep your cinch tight and don't forget to turn off the water.